as I'll ever be. I'm Kat. And I'm Taylor. And welcome to Square Mile of Murder. Yeah. Um, you know, I just want to take a moment to say, uh, every time we record one of these, I feel like I'm lisping more and more. <laughs> I I haven't noticed. Okay. That's good. But now I'm going to be like hyper aware. Oh, oh, good. Well, dear listeners, if you find me particularly lispy, let me know. Because uh, I keep noticing it and it seems strange to me. And on that note, anyone yeah. who decides to tell me that my accent is fucked up, getting crossed off my Christmas card list. I Whoa. know. Well, uh, I mean, I'm impressed you even have... You know, you're even sending people Christmas cards to begin with because it was a turn of phrase. I can't threaten to kill people on air. No, that's probably not a good idea, especially considering what kind of podcast we are. Yeah, (laughs) probably on some sort of watch list somewhere. Um, (laughs) Right, but so I've 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 set a new record of taking us off track before we even introduce (laughs) the case. I'm very proud of this accomplishment. I'd like to thank my family and my distractibility. So, yeah, we've got something a little bit different this week. Not your usual, you know, concrete, well-defined, single-person case. Instead, we have a theory about a series of cases that officially have been classified as accidental deaths, but a team of retired detectives believe that um, there's more to all these deaths um, than just them being tragic accidents. Today we are going to the Midwest and the East Coast of the United States on the trail of the so-called smiley face killers. Mm -hmm. Bad serial killer name. Yeah, it's not it's not but you'll find out soon why they're called that yes i think we should start giving serial killers really bad names and then you know nobody's gonna nobody's gonna want to be caught you know as the small dick (laughs) killer of the east river (laughs) i mean well i was trying to think of like really bad names as you said that it was like the garbage can killer but that actually sounds like it could be real. So we've got off track again. <laughs> what a surprise. <laughs> I'm shocked, really. Um, so quarantine and isolation are having some effects on us. Oh my God, you have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> we cannot process the same thought for longer than five seconds. <laughs> no, I like cannot focus on anything anymore. I'm just like, oh, look, a shiny, shiny object over there. Oh, <laughs> look, TV show over there. <sighs> okay, no distractions. Let's go. Smiley face killers. Okay. Um, so I've, I've put on my blinders for those of you who can't <laughs> see, just all of you, <laughs> unless we put some sort of video up on Patreon. <laughs> The Smiley Face Killers uh, is a theory that's uh, put forward by retired New York City detectives Kevin Gannon and Anthony Duarte um, and Dr. Lee Gilbertson. 
uh, who is a criminal justice professor at St. Cloud State University. The group alleges that a number of college-aged men found dead in bodies of water across several eastern and midwestern states from the late 1990s to present day didn't drown accidentally, which, you know, is how law enforcement agencies have concluded they died, but instead were um, victims of a serial killer or possibly killers. The groups conducted in-depth investigations into many of these deaths, studying how the water moves in these particular areas. For example, how the opening and closing of dams affects the flow of the river, tide tables from when the... or tide timetables from the time when the men went missing. This has led them to speculate about where the bo- the bodies actually entered the water, and they have found smiley face graffiti spray-painted close to where they believe the bodies entered the water. Hence, smiley face killers. Mm-hmm. It all becomes clear. Um, so Kevin Gannon and Anthony Duarte are both retired, decorated detectives from the Bronx, Um, each with more than 20 years' experience in law enforcement. In the early 2000s, the pair began investigating what they believed to be suspicious drownings of young men in a number of uh, Midwestern and Northeastern states. By 2008, they had found 45 deaths in 13 states that they believed to be linked. Most of the victims fit into the profile of white, college-aged man who was... Successful, popular, and athletic student. They were last seen leaving bars or parties. They also believe they were murdered either by a single serial killer who has travelled extensively across 13 states or by an organised group of killers spread out across these states. Gannon and Duarte have found opposition and support across the board from law enforcement and criminologists to true crime fans and armchair experts. The pair eventually began writing to various um, Congress members and other representatives across the 13 states where they believe crimes had taken place, asking them to reopen the cases and investigate them as homicides. In 2008, they gained support from Congressman Sam Graves of the 6th District of Missouri, who wrote to then-FBI Director Robert Mueller asking him to investigate the case. How topical that good old Bobby Mueller pops up in, in an I episode. Know. <laughs> uh, however, the FBI do not share the detective's enthusiasm for the theory. And in April 2008, released the following statement regarding what they call the Midwest River, River? The Midwest River Deaths. <clears throat> Put on your best FBI voice. No. <laughs> The FBI has reviewed the information about the victims provided by two retired police detectives who have dubbed these incidents the smiley face murders and interviewed an individual who provided information to the detectives. To date, we have not developed any evidence to support links between these tragic deaths or any evidence substantiating the theory that these deaths are the work of a serial killer or killers. The vast majority of these instances appear to be alcohol-related drownings the FBI will continue to work with the local police in the affected areas to, sp- to provide support as requested. Well, That's there you uh, go. pretty closed door there from uh, Robert Mueller and co. <laughs> uh, Mueller and his G-men. Yeah, that's kind of like 
we've heard your theory and uh, we refuse to dignify it with a response. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they are essentially trying to prove, still trying to prove a theory that has been debunked by the FBI, essentially. Or at least uh, rebuked by the FBI. Yeah, yeah rebuked, not debunked. But Said. This is what we're up against, people. We don't believe you, sirs. Next. So, uh, criminal profiler Pat Brown has called the theory ludicrous, arguing that the evidence does not fit what is known about serial killers. She also believes that the smiley face images are likely nothing more than coincidences based upon guesses as to where the bodies entered the water. Smiley face graffiti was only found after a wide area search, not immediately next to where the bodies are suspected to have entered the water. There's also been a lot of opposition within law enforcement who completely reject the idea of a serial killer or killers killing young men and disposing of them in large bodies of water. Obviously, a large amount of criticism for the theory does come from the precincts and departments who investigate the deaths. Makes sense. But, you know, none of us likes having our work criticised, do we? Especially if we've done our best, and even more so when we haven't. I mean, yes. <laughs> you know, if you haven't done your job properly and just been a bit lazy, you don't want someone pointing that out. If yeah. you didn't want to do it in the first place, you're not going to want to do it again under a microscope. Well, that's definitely true. So, whether, like say, whether it is people who've just done their best and not come to a conclusion that these guys came to, or whether it is just lazy police departments being like, eh, they were drunk, they fell in the river, end of story. You know, police budgets everywhere are overstretched. Yeah. So, you know, it could be either. Yeah. However... Um, they have found support from other members in uh, law enforcement and, and criminology sectors. In March 2009, Lee Gilbertson, uh, who's a member of the criminal justice faculty at St. Cloud State University in Minnesota, voiced his support for the theory on an episode of Larry King Live uh, in, during which the alleged murders were discussed. And Gilbertson has since joined the two detectives um, and helps them investigate these deaths, which they believe fit the theory. And also, uh, Dr. Lee Gilbertson is one of the USA's leading experts on uh, criminal gang culture, I believe, and an editor of like a journal, like sign, um, academic journal mm -hmm. on uh, gang culture and crime. So. These are pretty well well regarded guy. Yeah, this isn't crackpots with tin foil hats. <laughs> yeah, it's people who actually know what they're talking about, which makes it more interesting. Mm -hmm. In early 2019, the theory was the subject of a six-part docuseries on Oxygen TV called "The Smiley Face Killers: Hunt for Justice." The trio are joined by Mickey Donovan, who is a retired NYPD detective and was also a first responder at the World Trade Center on 9-11. Uh, each episode focuses on a different victim explaining how the case was originally investigated, how the group have since reinvestigated it and why they believe they're a victim of smiley face killer or killers. Um, 
Now, the theory has also been the subject of, should we call it a questionable feature-length documentary, which um, you can see on YouTube if you so desire. But Uh, we wouldn't recommend wasting one hour and 20 minutes of your life doing it. Yeah. I don't think questionable is the right word. I don't think there's a word strong enough. Yeah. So... If you're looking for what to avoid when researching Mm. this case, there's a feature-length film on YouTube put out by New Dawn Films called The Smiley Face Killers, and it was released in 2014. But uh, we would recommend that you don't, yeah, you don't waste your time like I did this morning and watch the entire thing. After somebody sent me the link saying, oh, I couldn't, wa- couldn't stand watching the TV show, so I watched this documentary. Here's the link. Well, I was duped. Um, mm. Yeah, so watched the whole thing. Turns out it's more mock than doc. Seems kind of like bullshit all around. And uh, consensus online seems to be that it's sort of a fictionalized approach to this case to sort of mm. grasp onto the publicity and, and, and make waves and all that kind of stuff. So the the thing that annoys me is they've actually interviewed the families of real victims and yeah. real investigators and people who've worked on this case. So don't watch that one if you're searching uh <laughs> For, for things about this case <laughs> go find the tv show although yeah we'll we'll talk about our own sort of opinions on on this theory and how it's presented in the show later but uh i, I have i have my issues with it to say the <laughs> least now as of 2019 when the series first aired the group had identified more than 350 young men whose deaths fit the smiley face killer theory. But because this is a theory rather than an actual case, there are so many potential victims. Uh, so we're just going to focus on a few whose cases are explored in depth in the TV show to try and illustrate the theory as best we can. Yeah. Because we're not, we're not, we can barely get through these, you know, first three pages. We're not sitting through 350 (laughs) cases today. (laughs) We do not have, well, they're saying now social distancing could have to like last until next year. So we might actually have time. I'd have time. Well, I do not have the brain cell capacity. (laughs) Yeah. No, me neither. So... First of our case studies um, is 23-year-old Dakota James, um, who went missing in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in January of 2017. He had been um, out for the night with friends in downtown Pittsburgh, but disappeared after leaving a bar on Liberty Avenue. Everyone assumed he had headed home to the north side of the city, and CCTV footage showed him heading through uh, the city's cultural district and this footage was the last known images of dakota dakota's family were from maryland and he was living in pittsburgh while he was a master's student at duquesne university dakota was openly gay 
and whilst his parents worried that his openness about his sexuality could make him a target, he never suffered any serious homophobic treatment and was generally well-liked, quite a popular guy. And he was also quite athletic and had been a competitive swimmer at school. So despite not being seen or heard from again after leaving the bar that night, there were some purchases made using Dakota's PayPal account in the days after his disappearance. But police never really followed, followed this up. Dakota's body was found 40 days later, floating in the Ohio River, approximately 10 miles away from where he was last seen. Police theorised that while walking home, Dakota had crossed the road to the banks of the Allegheny River to take a piss in the river because, you know, that's what drunk men do. <laughs> so police believed that in his intoxicated state, Dakota had lost his balance, fallen face first into the river and drowned. His death was recorded as an accidental drowning and crucially, it was only ever investigated as a missing p- uh, by the missing persons department. So it's never kicked up to homicide. It's never investigated as anything more. It's missing person, turns up dead, end of story. But that would be a very, very short and boring episode. (laughs) So um, many of his friends and family and the detectives behind the smiley face killer theory have disputed the official version of events. Uh, Because Dakota had previously been a competitive swimmer his friends and family don't believe that he would have drowned necessarily if he had fallen into the river and that they think that he would have been able to get himself out but it doesn't matter how strong a swimmer you are anyone can get into difficulty in the water yeah you know firstly it's january so it'd been very very cold Especially no in one's lasting very long in the water. I mean, it's yeah, it's Pittsburgh and yeah. I don't know Pittsburgh, but we do have a friend who grew up in Pittsburgh, Madeline, who's probably not listening. <laughs> um, and I know she says it was very like you know the northeast is cold. I mean, yeah, but you know that. Yes. So, uh, you know, you don't go in the water in the winter if you don't want to die. <laughs> yeah. So. You know, it's very cold for a start. He had been drinking, even though he wasn't drunk. So even, you know, a couple of pints, couple of shots, whatever, that is going to impair your judgment and slow down your body's thought processes. So it is going to make it more difficult for you to get out. Yeah. And if he'd fallen, he could have banged his head yeah. as well, uh, which would have, you know, either knocked him out or at least disoriented disorientated him and you know would have struggled to get himself out again yeah and plus like when you jump into really cold water fall into really cold water like sometimes your body just goes into shock and just stops like yeah i never actually thought of that yeah like being like i yeah you know for (laughs) for for lack of a better phrase it freezes or it's just sort of like sensory overload. So he may not yeah. have even been able to attempt to swim out kind of thing. Yeah. So so if this was the only questionable aspect of Dakota's case, you could brush it off as grieving 
loved ones wanting someone or something to blame. But this is just the tip of the iceberg, <laughs> according to our investigative team. Yes, of course. Um, Dakota's body was spotted by members of the public and recovered by water recovery personnel. Uh, when they were interviewed by Detectives Gannon and Duarte, these personnel said that uh, Dakota's face was almost the same. Like, it looked almost the same as it did in the CCTV footage, despite the fact that he had supposedly been dead and in the water for 40 days and had traveled 10 miles from the Allegheny River to the Ohio River. Um, the water recovery personnel say that because of the geography of the river, it was very unlikely that Dakota's body could have been floating for any period of time without being seen. And they also said that of the hundreds of bodies they had recovered between them, Dakota was in the best shape. That's interesting. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, the CCTV was, you know, captured him after he left the bar. So for his face to be in the same state. After being in the water for over a month. For, yeah, 40 days, that's, something's not right. Yeah, that doesn't add um, up. Yeah, and not only did he supposedly travel 10 miles downriver, he'd fallen into the water in Pittsburgh. So he would have had to travel through a dam and through the confluence of the two rivers to make it from the Allegheny River to the Ohio River. Mm -hmm. Yet despite this, his body was in almost pristine condition, as described by the water recovery personnel. So he also showed virtually no com no decomposition and the state of his body was actually more consistent with someone who had been dead for less than 24 hours as opposed to 40 days hmm. it just doesn't track <laughs> like what about the other 39 days oh that's a million dollar question <laughs> Uh, pathologist Dr. Wecht, who reviewed the case for the TV show, did say that it is possible for a body to be preserved in freezing cold water, but it is unlikely, and even if the body could have been preserved in the water and not begun to decompose, he would or should still have sustained some injuries travelling the 10 miles along the rivers and through the dams. Yeah, so you would think. It is a possibility, but very unlikely, according to the pathologist. Yeah. Um, so to add even more suspicion on top of all of this, once his body was recovered, police refused to allow Dakota's parents to view the body. And it wasn't until after Dakota's funeral that his mother learned she had a legal right to see her son's body. And she's... I didn't know that relatives actually had that legal right i mean i think it makes sense oh it, but it makes sense no but, but like uh, it's not really something i've ever considered no i mean I've, I've never really thought about it but you know suspicious deaths like that where the body isn't or you know where the body's severely decomposed or severely mutilated or injured in some way i didn't know i've heard of police departments trying to stop the family seeing seeing the body for their own yeah state of mind yeah so to speak i didn't know there was a legal you know that it was a legal right of the family to see the body yeah uh dakota's mother has since said that she was in a state of shock 
um, and just sort of numb. Uh, otherwise, she would have pushed to see her son one last time. And the nearest they came to viewing his body was when they were shown his ankle and they formally identified him from the tattoo on his ankle and foot. Because of the body's condition, the smiley face killing team investigators have theorized that Dakota had been placed into the water past the dam and only hours before the body was spotted by members of the public. Uh, like I say, due to the condition, level of decomposition, and they identified where they believe the body entered the water. And in this area, they also found smiley face graffiti. Mm-hmm. Now, this could have just been our old friend police incompetence and laziness. And frankly, I think there is a bit of that there. But there is also more to it because this is pretty much just the blueprint for over 300 murders across 13 states in the Midwest and East Coast. Yeah. So if we go back um, nine years earlier in January 2008, at the other end of Pennsylvania, 24-year-old Tommy Booth disappeared from a bar in Woodland near Philadelphia and was found two weeks later in the creek behind the bar that he had been in with his friends. On the rear outside wall of the bar, next to where Tommy's body was found, can we guess what might have been spray-painted there? Could it have been a smiley face, by chance? We have a winner! Smiley face graffiti was found next to the body. However, this area of the creek had already been searched in the days following Tommy's disappearance, and no trace of him had been found. The creek had been frozen, but he's his body would have been visible had it been there during this search. And not only that, but Tommy's body was in full rigor mortis when he was found, meaning that he had been dead for 24 to 36 hours. So um, police once again classed it as an accidental death and closed the case. As with the case of Dakota James, Tommy Booth's body was in very good condition. And he had been in the water behind the bar for two weeks, supposedly. Had he actually been there, he would have been in a much more advanced stage of decomposition. Yeah. And this has led investigators, as well as Tommy's friends and family, to suspect foul play. And the consulting pathologist on the TV show, Dr. Wecht, uh, concluded that Tommy's death was, quote, highly suspicious of foul play, unquote. Uh, Now... Unlike Dakota James's case, there was no CCTV footage showing Tommy leaving the bar that night. Police who originally investigated um, his missing persons case theorized that he had gotten drunk, wandered out behind the bar, and fell into the creek and drowned. But um, uh, our team of investigators believed believed that he was drugged and kidnapped and kept prisoner for almost two weeks before being murdered and dumped in the creek. So this reminds me of, have you seen the meme that's doing the rounds in like loads of true crime groups? Um, That's like, if you murder someone, hide the body somewhere temporarily, then anonymously tell the police that there's a body in location A. Mm -hmm. They'll go and dig up location A. Then you can go back at night and bury the body. 
nobody will be suspicious about the disturbed earth because police have already searched. <laughs> and so you can just hide the body. This kind of reminds me of that because the creek out of the back of the bat would have been one of the first places that was searched. Yeah. Probably before he was even reported missing because, you know, okay, he didn't come home. Okay, let's just go and look around the, the area. Maybe he got drunk and passed out or worse, you know. Yeah. Yeah, like his friends would have just, um, oh, we were in this bar. Let's go look out in the alleyway kind of thing. So to dump the body there almost seems like they didn't, maybe didn't expect him to be found for a while because it would have already been searched. Yeah. So. I know. You know. It, 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 it's strange to me that like it w- his body wasn't there when it was initially searched. Mm. Um definitely interesting um so uh by all accounts tommy had been popular and well liked um and at the time of his death he was fairly athletic um and in good shape so he fits the victim profile just like dakota james does um but it's not just Pennsylvania, where the investigators have identified the victims of these so-called smiley face killers. Uh, Victims have been found in Massachusetts, Minnesota, Illinois, Michigan, New Hampshire, Indiana, Ohio, New York, Delaware, Iowa, West Virginia, and Wisconsin. Try saying that fast. No thanks. (laughs) (laughs) So another case which is explored in the show, which personally i found quite interesting was the death of todd geeb gabe in muskegon michigan a 22 year old todd had been attending an orchard party on june 25th 2005 when he disappeared his body was found 22 days later floating in a nearby private lake firstly an orchard party (laughs) what is that it sounds like you would know about that uh, I don't because I didn't attend parties because I was not cool. But uh, so I don't know from personal, for, like firsthand experience. Um, <laughs> have you ever listened to the podcast Up and Vanished? No. Uh, well, <laughs> in that case, it's a true crime podcast. There's a a very prominent pecan orchard that figures into it, and like apparently all the local children not children uh like teens and young adults would just like have parties there every friday night so so is it like the inland equivalent of a beach party yeah i think like a bonfire situation where you go and and you know hang out in the orchard because it's this big plot of land in theory away from a lot of other you know houses or whatever town Hmm. buildings and stuff so okay that's what i reckon okay i have now added up and vanished too ah yes it's a good list of podcasts there's a lot of episodes but it's good (laughs) but yeah so now we all have an understanding what an orchard party is um this i find this interesting because it's a private lake it's not like he fell it's not like you're walking home by the river and you trip and fall yeah kind of thing so todd's death was ruled an undetermined drowning with the police theorizing that he had left the party drunk and high 
wandered the wrong way, found himself at the lake, and at some point fallen in and drowned. But while post-mortem blood tests did show a combination of alcohol and multiple antidepressants in Todd's system, he wasn't actually taking any medication at the time. And when Detective Gannon and Dr. Gilbertson consult with a pharmacist, they learned that the combination of antidepressants found in Todd's system would not have been prescribed together as they would act on each other and cause confusion, agitation and hallucinations. And the consultant pharmacist, David McDermott, does point out that the drugs could easily have been slipped into a drink unnoticed. But he claims that the levels of medication and alcohol found in Todd's system would render him completely incapacitated and unable to walk through the woods to the lake. Mm. And this is your no eating warning. Stop eating if you are. Uh, So the group even go so far as consulting a local university and experimenting with a pig carcass. Because uh, pigs are the nearest animals to the whose body is like structurally the same as the human body in terms of muscle and fat distribution. And they place a pig, a dead pig, in the lake. Same type of clothing that Todd was wearing. Check on it every few days until it's been in the water for 22 days. And they compare the decomposition of the pig to the level of decomposition seen in Todd's body. Now, obviously, that is not an exact science in terms of comparison between a pig body and a human body. But it does show just the how far they're willing to go to look into this theory. Yeah, And... On a nearby tree was a smiley face. Of course. And when the show was released last year, the family was still waiting for an answer as to whether or not Todd's case would be reopened and reinvestigated. So that is one I find interesting, especially because it's a private lake as well. It's surrounded by woodland. You wouldn't wander off there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's interesting. Like... See, I'm inclined to believe the sort of concept that, like, he was, you know, drunk. He was highly intoxicated and ended up somehow in the lake accidentally, whether under his own power or someone Mm. else. Yeah, I mean, depends. I mean, they did say that amount of drugs in his system would completely incapacitate him. That's the only thing so that's hanging me up. That's, yeah. So he could have been. But sometimes we have a different idea of what incapacitated, incapacitated means. Like, I have a friend who you give a couple of glasses of wine, is completely on her ass. Yeah. It's not completely incapacitated because we can pick her up and carry her home. <laughs> but she's no use to anyone. Now, why are you referring to me like this? <laughs> Whereas. You know, in pharmaceutical terms, when you're talking about incapacitated, it could mean it could mean like that where you're not really comprehending what's going on around you. Or it could still could also mean that you are just completely out of it. Yeah. Like on the floor out. Yeah. Like not walking, not ambulatory. Um, So. Yeah. Yeah. So I was going to ask if there was a case that stood out to you, but you gave up with the tv show (laughs) so tell us about it listen 
I watched a few episodes. I watched the first few episodes. During the first episode, I started to struggle. Like, here's the thing. Maybe you've seen this this other show. Um, I can't remember. I can't remember what it was called. It's called like the case of Jean Benet Ramsey or something. Came out a few years ago from the team behind Real Crime Profile. Yeah. So if anyone has seen this other like document documentary series, it kind of reminded me of that. Like it's uh, super overproduced. Um, <laughs> like just the, the dramatic music is just go, go, go nonstop. Like from, from the very first credit sequence on till the very end of the episode and everything is like a reveal and like you're just waiting for like the commercial Mm -hmm. breaks to come in even though yeah I wasn't watching it on something that had commercials and like to keep you guessing and like the the interviews with these guys these retired NYPD detectives like it just felt so scripted is maybe not the right word, but just sort of like, it's all so repetitive. It's like, well, he was found in the water. So of course that means he fits our case. And like, like it just sort of every bit of it that they talk about, it's all very like confirmation biasy to me where, Oh, definitely. It's like, well, we've come up with this theory and we're here promoting it. And so anything we talk about, it supports this theory. There are no yeah. other options. Um, yeah. I mean, I know we talked about it earlier on that this theory has been rebuked by the FBI. Yeah. So they are really pushing hard to sell it. So I could deal with that aspect of it. But... See, my... Th- I, I do also agree with what you're saying. My thing is that, like, it felt way less like they were trying to sell it to law enforcement than they were trying to sell it for entertainment value, which I understand. Yeah. Like, especially in our current media moment, like, true crime sells like hotcakes. And why are we still poor? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> how, how does that work out? But, like... So that makes sense, but I don't know. It just, especially bringing in the family members um, of some of these victims for the show, and like, ha- like, it's it felt kind of gross to me in a way. Like, you're some of these these kids died, you know, ten plus years ago. And you're bringing mm. in these families who have gone through this grieving process and been told like their kids died accidentally. And now you're putting them on TV and you're being like, yeah, well, actually, we can tell you what really happened after your child tragically died. Like, it just seems manipulative in a, in a lot of ways to me. Like, look, I watch all kinds of TV. I don't have high standards. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I don't know something about this. I was just like, nah, 
this isn't this isn't good this isn't right like i don't i don't believe it i don't buy it um see i didn't have that kind of reaction to it but i'm trying to think of other show true crime shows that i've turned off because i've been like nope <laughs> for that kind of reason yeah. and there are some i've just forgotten yeah but no i totally understand what you're saying yeah and like in terms of the theory itself uh, I don't see all these, these you know, red yarn lines tying these cases together that they do necessarily. As, like, I think they seem like drownings, accidental drownings for the most part, or they seem like body dumps. Like, mm -hmm. these kids have been murdered or killed in some capacity, whether, you know, on a night out. It, one of the cases that I did get through the entire episode, it was like, oh, he had contusions on his face. And they were like, oh, that's consistent with... With the boot print. Yeah, with the boot print or some, yeah. something like that. But it's like, or he could have gotten kicked in the face in a fight and then died and, yeah. the, like, someone freaked out and panicked and, like... Am I right in thinking that, you know, um, like shoe imprint, that's classed as junk science yeah, now, it isn't is. it? Yeah, it is. That's one so of the things that's been totally debunked, I think. Yeah. I mean, when you watch it on forensic files and you look at how they do it, yeah, it's really interesting and I'm sure that they believe in what they're doing. But when you're class like grasping at, you're essentially grasping at straws if you're going to be using junk science to prove your point. Yeah, it's not... <laughs> It's not very promising yeah. for your theory. Yeah, and like the whole smiley face of it all. <laughs> I just no. Like if if they were finding smiley faces on the bodies or right next to the bodies or you yeah. know something like that or there's there was some communication between killers and law enforcement or the media talking about smiley faces or or whatever. Maybe. That's that's what kind of that's the bit where I go no yeah. is the smiley faces because like you say they're everywhere yeah and when you look at the pictures of the smiley faces that are found next to the or near these near. bodies are well that's the thing they're not even near the, the bodies they're near where they think the bodies went into the water which is also totally yeah. bullshit like I don't care mm. if you're you know recreating the current pattern on a similar weather day, like so many factors are going to go into how uh, something yeah. moves down a body of water. So, yeah, but that these smiley faces aren't even the same. They're different colors, different styles, different, which, okay. If it's a group of serial killers, yeah. then Maybe. okay, that would explain it. But it's, it's not a common, it's not an uncommon image if it was like some like completely individual like mm -hmm. graffiti tag or something that's not like never been seen anywhere else then okay that would that's one thing but yeah that to me would make it more i'd maybe be like hmm it's more realistic but no i mean i bet if you did uh, a survey of all the urban graffiti in you know american <laughs> cities 
then you'd be there a long time well yeah but also i bet you that there are random smiley faces all over the damn place because like yeah if i if i had a can of spray paint and i have no artistic ability with spray paint let me tell you and i was told go graffiti something and and make it some sort of recognizable thing i'm pretty sure i would graffiti a smiley face so Smiley faces aren't a rare form of graffiti. No. Which is... That is what leads me to question it. Because these, these guys aren't crackpots with tinfoil hats. They're experienced detectives. They're leaders in their area of expertise. And so I'm like... I just... I just... I want to... I kind of want to give it credence because they're clearly not idiots. No, but, also but I I'm also like, think that it seems to me like they've fallen into the trap of like, oh, we want to believe yeah. this, like no oh, yeah. matter what. And it, now it's become their thing. Like who knows? It could have just started off as a sort of like random thing they were talking about. And then now they've become known for it and they can, yeah, they can, you know, stake their, their yeah. claim to it. So that's, yeah. That's tough. But, um, like what you were saying before about confirmation bias, I think now it's become that for them. Yeah. Like they've spent more than 15 years on it now. They need it to be true. <laughs> yeah, really. Otherwise, they're so, fucked. <laughs> but I do think, especially, like, obviously, of all the cases they've looked at, there will be some that will just be very kind of banal. They will be drowning. Yeah. Them. But the ones that are included in the TV show are the ones that make me think, there's something else that because the decomposition rate doesn't match up yeah. to how long they've supposedly been in the water. But I don't believe that all 350 odd cases are going to be like that. Yeah. Also 350, that would make them like the most prolific serial killer in American history. Oh yeah. If not world. Which history. just doesn't seem likely. And I don't know the idea of like, a gang of serial killers I find very strange as well. It's pretty contradictory because serial killers are usually individual by necessity or like um or like couples solitary. yeah or Felida, things like that. Yeah, and like to, to they're basically describing a pretty advanced type of like mo if you think yeah. about it like they're saying okay so they kidnap these kids after they're out for a night they hold them for months or you know potentially mm. like extended periods of time they either torture them or don't and then they release them they kill them they they put them in the water X amount of, you know, distance from where they were originally disappeared from. Like it's not mm. a simple, like, well, they murder people with a knife. Like, so for that to be a group of people doing that seems crazy. I mean, if you were talking about like organized crime and a drug cartel, yeah, I would be more likely to believe yeah. it. If it was, you know, people who had wronged them, who had stolen from them, whatever, you know, they kidnap them, they kill them in this way and they dump them in water. Yeah. 
and they leave a mark near the body. Yeah. That I would find more believable, but it just... Well, and the fact that it's in so many different locations as well. It's just, yeah. how do you stay organized if you're this big serial killer gang across, you know? I mean, no no online platform is secure, so we can't even like use Google Drive or something. Like, okay, so you're, you're in Minnesota this week. Yeah. <laughs> you're in Wisconsin. I'm going to... I'm going to Maine yeah. because we haven't done one in Maine yet. So, you know, uh, yeah, you know, it's it, like you say, how do you keep track of that? Uh, I just, it doesn't seem. See, on the outs- from the outset, it does sound like an interesting theory. But then the more you think about it, the more it's no. Yeah. Well, and I think that like it's an appealing theory um, for true crime fans because it's very mm. it's kind of like it's kind of like a creepy pasta come to life like <laughs> <laughs> like oh and you know they found the hook on the door the car door handle well they found the smiley face next to the body and it's like it you want to you want to believe it cuz it's so outrageous but also mm. that sort of yeah. like extreme nature of it makes it just not that believable um but yeah so i think in some cases where it seems more like a body dump or they have been put in the river a few days or whatever before they were found there is foul play yeah but a lot of them let's say 350 they're not all like that because if there was that many like that someone else would have joined the dots up as well yeah exactly i think um, that's the thing like i think there's definitely some of these cases are not like accidental deaths or or um some of them are you know criminal in some way mm. but i just i don't think they're connected no but one thing that i do find quite interesting about this series is that there's a english or british theory quite similar to this one mm. And that is the Manchester pusher theory. So I'll be honest, the only reason I know about this is because my sister lives in Manchester. Hey, I know you're listening because you've got nothing better to do. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, nobody has anything better to do. (laughs) Um, And so, and my mum was always terrified about her going out drinking in the city because it is filled with canals and rivers. (laughs) And just general open bodies of water. Oh, good. And the theory goes that the pusher is an unknown serial killer who has pushed dozens of people into the city's canal or the river Medlock. Hmm. You know, just lurks in the shadows for, for drunk victims. Hmm. And this theory kind of died away for a while. and um, But it's gained a lot more uh, sort of notoriety recently because... Um, in January, I think it was, there was the trial of Reynard Singer, mm-hmm. who was accused and convicted, well, accused of drugging and raping 195 men who were nights out in Manchester between 2015 and 2017. And I can't remember the number he was convicted of, but he's not seen the outside world anytime soon. I would think not. <laughs> and so it was the, the pusher theory became 
kind of prominent again because people are like, oh, was it him? But it's completely different MO, completely different type of killer. Yeah. And he actually never killed any of his victims. He he drugged them and raped them, but then was then they'd wake up in his house and he'd be like, Oh yeah, you were drunk, so I looked after you. Mm-hmm. Um and Greater Manchester Police refute claims of a serial killer lurking around the canals at night. Um, similar to all the police departments involved in the smiley face cases, you know, they claim these drownings are accidental or as a result of, you know, people getting drunk, becoming separated from their friends and falling into the canals or the river. Mm-hmm. But the one thing they can't deny is that Manchester does have a large number of drowning deaths, like more than you know, other cities of a similar size and with rivers and canals. Mm-hmm. Um, between 2008 and 2014, 85 people, 72 of them were men, died in rivers, canals and other waterways in Greater Manchester. And so whilst I think there is more to the smiley case, smiley face killer's case yeah. theory thing. <laughs> oh, my God. It's hard to say. <laughs> yeah. The smiley face killer's theory, I don't believe there is a pusher, but it is interesting to see these kind of theories that develop when people want it to be something more. They don't want to believe that. Nobody wants to believe that their relatives were the ones who got drunk and fell into the river and drowned because we all think those people are stupid. (laughs) Whether we admit it or not, everyone has read about a drunk student getting into trouble in some way and thought, idiot. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and nobody wants to, we don't want to believe our, our loved ones are that stupid. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, I think it's very human to like search for answers to the sort of yeah. randomly tragic, I guess. Mm. Uh, yeah. I'm just trying to think if there's any other, like, I want to say that for a while, it was either right before I left New York or right after, but there were a lot of people getting pushed onto the subway tracks uh, in front Ooh, of that freaks me up. yeah, in front of oncoming trains and dying. And I, I think it was right before I left, but I, I really do remember sort of being like, oh, there's someone going around just killing people in the subway stations and Mm. but again is it just a random thing or is it an uh, organized uh situation i don't know yeah i always um stand with my back to the wall in a subway situation (laughs) because of that (laughs) um yeah so that is the smiley face killer theory smiley face case killer theory face case face um (laughs) that as well yeah (laughs) so yeah uh let us know what you guys think are all of these 350 cases connected um do you hate us for saying this is kind of bullshit like (laughs) what do you think are they we lost our minds (laughs) (laughs) um are they just like tragic accidents you know, we want to we want to hear other people's theories and suppositions. Um, so, 
join our Facebook group, uh, which is called Square Mile of Murder, the podcast. It's a private group. Come on, join in. We'll we'll add you on or um, find us on Instagram and yeah, let us know what you think. Uh, just carrying on from last week's conversation about the Facebook group, have you got around to shaving your legs yet? Yeah, I did. Uh, it I it was driving me crazy. We're getting <laughs> so long, and like I don't know, there's like a different feeling when water hits your legs when there's the hair is really long. Like it feels like there's just like rivers running down my legs. So I finally, the other day, I was just like, no, I'm done can't do it anymore (laughs) it's over so i've been sheared yeah so yeah come and join the facebook group and talk to us about literally anything (laughs) there is not much we won't talk about and if you want to go one step further and support the show you can sign up to patreon and pledges start from just one dollar which is about 80p Mm -hmm. and here and we get to do our first shout out because we have some lovely people who have done that. Yay! So, ooh, 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 ooh. thank you to Cavalcade of Shadows. No, Cavalcade of Shows. I don't even know anymore. J.R. McDaniel, Catherine Jones, Michael Giles, and the podcast Gremlin. Yeah. Thank you so much, you lovely people. Thank you very much. Um, thank you, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> and Mike for supporting us uh, and my dear lovely podcast gremlin uh, for oh she just wooed in the background <laughs> for letting me sign her up <laughs> to our Patreon <laughs> so yeah no it's super cool um, and like I think more than anything, we want to just build a community of people around this thing. And, you know, we want your input. If you're listening and you like something or if you're listening and you have thoughts or suggestions, like, let us know. Yeah, come tell us. Come talk to us. Yeah. Yeah. Suggest cases. Suggest cases. Suggest. Anyone suggests Jack the Ripper will be ignored. <laughs> Maybe Just I'll do a, a solo Patreon episode of Jack the Ripper. I'm not doing it. I refuse. <laughs> um, yeah, or like, you know, send us questions and... Anything. Anything. <laughs> We're bored. Are you bored? We're bored. Come talk to us. Yeah. 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 So Come and talk to us. Um, thanks to our to our patrons and um thank you all for listening and uh for our ten dollar plus patrons we'll have a new full-length bonus episode on uh patreon on friday and for everyone else we will see you next week bye bye